welcome to the Kalamo Pod, the one and only podcast on themes in classical Islamic theology, hosted by me, Hannah Elwein. Ardent listeners of the Kalamo Pod will recall that in a previous episode we looked at the notorious incident of the Mehna, the Inquisition, which one Abbasid Caliph decided to instigate in the year 833. During this inquisition, the caliph had one specific group of scholars, the so-called Muhadithun, interrogated. They were asked a single theological question. Was the Quran created or uncreated? We saw that the caliph had purposefully chosen the specific theological question, for he was well aware that giving an answer to it required entering into the territory of reason-based speculation. The caliph also knew that the Mohadithun were reluctant to do so. They believed that inquiry into religious dogma had to be based on clear, unambiguous religious texts from the Quran and the words of the Prophet. The caliph, for his part, insisted on the use of reason in religious matters and this attitude of his went hand in hand with his promotion of another group of scholars, namely the Mutakalimun, that is, the practitioners of the science of Kalam. They could call themselves lucky that this caliph's court had a particular affinity for philosophy, theology, as well as other sciences. In any case, what the historical episode of the Inquisition showed us was that not everyone welcomed the Mutakalimun with open arms. The Mutakalimun, with their emphasis on rational investigation of religious dogma, were seen with suspicion by the more traditionalist scholars like the Muhadithun. The Mutakalimun, for their part, were very much aware of the resistance they were facing, and what is more, they took this resistance seriously. For the charge which the Mohadithun leveled against the Mutakalimun was nothing less than that they had strayed from the correct path of religion. The Mutakalimun consequently felt the need to defend themselves against this charge, which, in their eyes, was probably the worst charge possible. So, in today's episode, we will travel about 100 years ahead in time, into the first half of the 10th century, and we will see how the dispute between Muhadithun and Mutakalimun continued. We will do so by having a close look at an epistle by one influential Mutakalim, Abul Hassan al-Ash'ari, which is fittingly entitled A Vindication of the Science of Kalam or Risala fi Istihsan al-Khaut fi al-Kalam. This epistle is a rather insightful source for the conflict between Muhadithun and Mutakalimun. Not only does al-Ashari recount the arguments which the detractors of Kalam put forward, but he also presents several counter-arguments. Before delving right into the epistle, let me tell you that al-Ash'ari was rather successful in his defense of the science of Kalam. 
Islamic theology would claim more and more space in the intellectual landscape of the classical Islamic period. And what is more, this Al-Ashari would become known as the founder and eponym of what we could probably call the most successful school of Islamic theologians, the Ash'ariya. Even though it should be noted that Al-Ashari himself was probably not aware that he was an Asharite Mutakalim. This is of course how later generations remembered him. Alright, let's go straight into the epistle then. Al-Ashari begins his epistle with talking about the detractors of Kalam and the charge which they leveled against the Mutakalimun. And I'm going to quote Al-Ashari's own words to you. A certain group of people have made ignorance their capital, finding reasoning and inquiry into religious belief too burdensome They incline towards the easy way of blindly following religious authorities. They slander him who scrutinizes the basic dogmas of religion and accuse him of deviation. It is innovation and deviation they claim to engage in kalam. This is quite a rich quote and Al-Ashari actually packed a lot of points into it. So let's unpack it a little bit. First of all, Al-Ashari does not explicitly name his opponents here, which is quite an interesting rhetorical strategy, but he doesn't have to. By stating their derogative position on the science of Kalam, it would have been entirely clear to an informed reader or listener whom he had in mind. And to contemporary readers of Al-Ashari's epistle, who are familiar with the different groups at that time, it is also entirely clear whom he had in mind. Contemporary scholars have suggested that Al-Ashari's opponents in the epistle are the Muhadithun, who are already familiar to us. In Al-Ashari's time, they would primarily have been the followers of Ahmad ibn Hanbal. You will remember from the previous episode of the Kalamopod that Ahmad ibn Hanbal was the most prominent victim among the Muhadithun during the Inquisition. Ahmad ibn Hanbal's followers, the so-called Hanbalites, shared his suspicion of rational, reason-based argumentation in religious questions. So, in his epistle, Al-Ash'ari quite faithfully reproduces the charge which the Hanbalites leveled against the Mutakalimun. Engaging in Kalam is innovation, in Arabic, bid'ah. One might think that innovation is actually a good thing, but this is certainly not what the Hanbalites wanted to say. Whenever theologians accused each other of introducing an innovation into religion, they meant it in the most negative way possible. Innovation is here equated with deviation, dalal. Even though Al-Ashari himself does not spell it out, this term invokes the association, and I dare say, not just for me, with the very first surah of the Qur'an, which also uses this term. In it, the believer is encouraged to ask God to, quote, guide us to the straight path, the path of those you have blessed, 
those who incur no anger and who have not deviated. In Arabic, adalin, which is the same root as the word dalal used in Al-Ashari's epistle. So, the picture which the detractors of Kalam painted is that the practitioners of Kalam have deviated from the path of true religion by introducing baleful innovations. But what was this innovation supposedly about? Al-Ashari tells us in his epistle. The opponents of Kalam assert that if Kalam were a matter of guidance and rectitude, the Prophet and his caliphs and his companions would have discussed it. For, they say, the Prophet did not die until he had discussed and amply explained all needful religious matters. Since no Kalam has been related from the Prophet, we know that Kalam is an innovation and such inquiry a deviation. So, according to the Hanbalites, the science of Kalam with its rational investigation of religious dogma is an innovation because it is not part of what the Prophet Muhammad taught about religion. Al-Ashari then reports that the Hanbalites argued that there could only be two reasons why the Prophet never engaged in Kalam. Either the Prophet knew about Kalam and rational investigation of religious dogmas, but he chose to remain silent about it. In that case, the Muslims should follow the Prophet's example and his authority and also remain silent about it and not engage in Kalam. Or the Prophet did not know about Kalam and rational investigation of religious dogmas. In that case, the Muslims are not required either to engage in Kalam. In any case, in whatever the reason, according to the Hanbalites, the Mutakalimun deviated from the correct path of religion and Kalam is a blameworthy innovation. Now, Al-Ashari for his part also has a charge to level against the detractors of Kalam. In the quote from his epistle, which I read to you earlier, he accuses them of, quote, inclining towards the easy way of blindly following religious authorities and of rejecting Kalam simply because they find it, quote, too burdensome. The word Al-Ashari uses when he speaks of blindly following authorities is taklid, And as ardent listeners of the Kalamopod, this term will immediately ring a bell for you from the previous episode. This term was used by generations of Mutakalimun, but what did they want to get at when they leveled this charge against the detractors of Kalam? The Mutakalimun argued that one belief, which is accepted because some authority holds it, is not better or more accurate. Or appropriate than another belief which is accepted because some other authority holds it. Instead, one's religious convictions have to rest on good reasons, which for the Mutakalimun meant reason-based argument and proof. For the Mutakalimun, it was not even enough to claim that the Prophet said this or that, even though he was of course the ultimate religious authority 
But they argued that first one had to establish by rational argument a host of religious tenets, including that Muhammad really was a prophet. Only then one could accept his utterances as authoritative. So, you see, for the Mutakalimun there simply was no way around reason and rational arguments as the foundation of religious dogma. Since the Hanbalites were skeptical about the role of reason in religious questions and instead claimed to derive their religious convictions from what the Prophet or his companions said, the Mutakalimun derogatorily labeled them Mukalidun, those who blindly follow religious authorities without proof. But the greater part of Al-Ashari's epistle is a number of actual counter-arguments against the Hanbalites. They all essentially have the purpose to call into question that Kalam is an innovation, this being the main charge the Hanbalites leveled against Kalam, as we saw. Let's have a closer look at some of Al-Ashari's counter-arguments. The first one is rather short and I therefore want to quote it to you in full. The first is to turn the question against them by saying, It is also true that the Prophet never said, If anyone should inquire into that and discuss it, regard him as a deviating innovator. So you are constrained to regard yourselves as deviating innovators, since you have discussed something which the Prophet did not discuss and you have accused of deviation him, whom the Prophet did not so accuse. This is actually a really clever move on the part of Al-Ashari, if I may say so, since the Hanbalites define innovation as engagement with anything that has no clear, unambiguous basis in the Quran or the words and deeds of the Prophet, Al-Ashari now accuses them of innovation, precisely because they engage in discussing matters, in this case the permissibility of Kalam, which the Prophet clearly did not even talk about. Al-Ashari basically pushes them into a corner. The Hanbalites cannot accuse others of innovation and deviation without becoming guilty of precisely the same sin. Al-Ashari's second counter-argument to vindicate the science of Kalam engages directly with the claim of the Hanbalites that the Prophet never engaged in Kalam and that therefore it cannot be part of religion and engaging in it consequently is a blameworthy innovation. Al-Ashari now makes the point that this is simply false. The Prophet was neither ignorant of Kalam-style investigation of religious dogmas, nor was he silent about it. But listen to Al-Ashari's own words. Actually, the Prophet was not ignorant of any item of the Kalam which you have mentioned. It is true that he did not discuss every one of these points which the Mutakalimun discussed specifically. Nevertheless, The basic principles of these things are present in the Qur'an and the Prophet's Sunnah in general, even if not in detail. Al-Ashari is happy to concede 
that some of the details of the discussions of the Mutakalimun cannot be traced back to the Prophet. But from this it does not follow, Al-Ashari insists, that Kalam is an innovation. For the Mutakalimun's discussions can all be traced back to principles found in the Quran or in the reports about the Prophet. But what does Al-Ashari mean when he insists that the Mutakalimun's discussions go back to basic principles in the Quran? Luckily for us, Al-Ashari gives several examples of what he has in mind. Here is one, and I'm quoting. The Kalam on the basic principles of the profession of God's oneness and uniqueness is also taken from the Quran. God said in the Quran, Were there divinities other than God in the heavens and earth, then they both would be in disorder. This is actually Quran 21-22. This Kalam is a brief reminder of the proof that God is unique and peerless, and the Kalam of the Mutakalimun, in which they argue to God's oneness and uniqueness from mutual hindrance and contention, simply goes back to this verse. So Al-Ashari mentions a specific theological problem, which the Mutakalimun frequently discussed, namely the proof of God's oneness and uniqueness, which in Arabic is called Tawhid. The Mutakalimun made use of what they called the proof from mutual hindrance, in Arabic, Dalil At-Tamanua. Al-Ashari makes the point that it has its origin in the Quranic verse which he quoted. The verse declares God to be the only deity by arguing that if there were other entities who also were deities, the world would basically end up in chaos and destruction. Now, what did this Kalam proof for mutual hindrance actually say? Take as an example the version of the proof which we find in Al-Juwaini's Kitab al-Shamil or the complete book. Al-Juwaini was an 11th century theologian belonging to the theological school that took its name from our very own Al-Ashari, that is, the Asharites. Al-Juwaini has a chapter entitled On the Proof of God's Oneness. There he mentions the proof for mutual hindrance explicitly and listen to Al-Juwaini's own words. If we were to affirm two eternal powerful deities and if one of them wanted something to move at a particular time while the other of them wanted it to rest at the same time then the following would be the case. The first alternative is this. What both of them want would be realized. The second alternative is this. What one wants is realized and what the other wants is not realized. As for the first alternative, it is absurd that what both of them want is realized as this would mean the coexistence of two opposing things. As for the second alternative, if what one of them wants is realized, but not what the other one wants, then one of them wins over the other, and one of them is weak, and the one who is weak 
may not be called a divinity. So now we know what the Kalam proof from mutual hindrance for God's uniqueness as deity involved. Basically, it revolves around the idea that the concept of a deity is not compatible with weakness and inability. And I'd be interested to know whether you think Al-Ashari has a point that this Kalam proof is essentially nothing else than what the Quran tries to prove when it says, were there divinities other than God in the heavens and the earth, then they both would be in disorder. In any case, in his epistle, Al-Ashari gives a host of other examples which, according to him, prove his main point. All Kalam discussions go back to Quranic verses which serve as argument and proof for the Mutakalimun. Sure, the Hanbalites might be right that the Prophet and his companions did not discuss these theological questions in the same detail as the Mutakalimun, but the Hanbalites are disingenuous when they claim that the Prophet and his companions had nothing to do with this sort of rational debate and that Kalam is an innovation. Well, you see, this was the kind of blow which the Mutakalimun struck against the detractors of their science, who accused them of corrupting the religious tradition by introducing rational, reason-based discussions into it. You might want to decide for yourself whether you think that the Mutakalimun, like Al-Ashari, had the better arguments, or whether the opponents of Kalam, like the Hanbalites, were more convincing. Historically speaking, it was the Mutakalimun who decided the question to do or not to do Kalam in their favor. And they did indeed find plenty of theological problems to puzzle their heads over. But the crucial question was, with which problem should the Mutakalimun even start? But this story has to wait till the next episode of the Kalamopod, the one and only podcast on themes in classical Islamic theology, hosted by Hannah Erwein. Thanks for listening and hear you soon.